Okay, so a little transparency here. I, I come at today's subject, belonging, not as... When, when you're a speaker, um, you, you usually come at a subject from two different angles. One, as you just happen to be the student with the microphone because you really don't know what you're talking about and you're learning with everybody else. And the other one is you, you kind of feel like it's something that God has walked you through and that you grasp pretty well. Today, I'm the student. I just happen to have the microphone with me. So this is, to be, to be transparent, this is something that I struggle with. And I think what you'll find in these three different elements, these three different ideas of belonging, idea, and strength, is that you will find yourself at one of those places um, on, on different ones. One, sometimes you'll find yourself as, this is something I'm very strong at, that God has, has led me into. On uh, different ones, you will, you will find yourself extremely lacking because you struggle with it for whatever reason. I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with the idea of belonging. I think a lot of us do. Uh, one, because our culture is built on the idea of the autonomous self. Um, the other reason is many of us, if not most of us, we have uh, lives that are marked with different scars, whether that's from uh, bad marriages, uh, bad family experiences, bad friendship experiences, bad job experiences, or whatever. But we, the, through those different times and these scars have developed, calluses have also developed, and it's made belonging very difficult. And so we put on this facade to belong to people. And the truth is, uh, what we have is a threshold. And the minute that threshold gets crossed, we're ready to cut ties and and leave. Um, And I feel like for me personally, and maybe a lot of you can relate, I've I've got... uh, past scars from, from family situations, uh, not my, my family now, but uh, as growing up, and, and then different job situations. And it's kind of created this callus in me that I know well, especially as a pastor who has taught on community, I know well how to fake it, to be, to be fair. But belonging, it, to be frank, it scares the hell out of me. It does, because there is a lot of vulnerability in that. And I think that um, that's probably true for a lot of people in our culture is that belonging is really scary. And in fact, if you, if you look through history, there have been really two major metaphors um, throughout history that define social relationships. And I, I wrote a couple of those down. Um, and, and what they are is one that is very dominant today is the contract. And when I'm talking about contract, I'm not talking about so much a piece of paper that you sign but I'm more talking about a, a, a theory in the way that we function with each other, okay? You, you do see it in, in uh, sheets of paper or legal papers that businesses sign together. But if you look at the way that we really function together in our pseudo-communities, in our manufactured communities, the word that can best describe the way we function together is that of contract. And here's a few things that I wrote down on the idea of contract. Number one, contracts are their performance oriented. The point of a contract is to ensure that a task is accomplished, a commodity produced, or a service rendered. And the truth is, if we look at a lot of our relationships, if we're not getting out from the other person what we need, we're ready to cut ties. And a lot of the reason we have done that, and of course we'd never say that, right? We would never say this about the person that we love so much. But the truth is, we've been hurt enough that if we can't get what we need, we're ready to go. The other one is, A mark of a contract is that um, they're marked by limited commitment. In other words, the contract requires only what it explicitly or implicitly states, no less and certainly no more. That protects us a lot. 
It, applies, it protects us from being fully emotionally and socially engaged and committed. And then finally, they're strictly reciprocal. The consent of both parties is needed or required for both to be held to the contract. On the other hand, the transgression from one party, and this is totally the way our culture functions, the transgressions from one party releases the other from the contract. And if you just think about that, not through a sheet of paper that we sign, but through a, some sort of conceptual lens, it's how we function in almost every arena of our life, including marriage. I would dare to say that the majority of marriages that end, end because somebody has decided this is a contract, not a covenant. But this is the way our society functions predominantly because the contract is created to protect the self. That's why it exists, to protect the self from the other. Um, and so the, the problem with the idea of contract is that human beings, number one, we're, we are not primarily autonomous individuals who associate with one another just to perform tasks or to get something met. That's not who we are at our core, and we know that. Our relationships are not, they're not supposed to be, especially if you read scripture, are not strictly reciprocal. In other words, my neighbor's inability to fulfill their role to me should not cancel out my role to them. Especially through the lens of scripture. The other one, outside of contract, is the idea of covenant. We don't work this way today. But if you look back to the different empires throughout history, Assyria, Babylon, um, whatever, what you find is this idea of covenant. Many, many of those are, are uh, polluted. Um, but they had this idea that the social norm should be guided by the idea of, of covenant. Okay? The best view we get on the idea of covenant is the new covenant. Right? The one that Jesus forms with his people on the cross. And here are some normatives, if you will, or here are some elements of the idea of contract. And if you're going to write anything down, these are the ones I want you to write down because these are the kind of lens that we're going to look through as we read the story. First, the covenant is all about making space for the other inside of yourself. Covenant is all about making space for the other inside of yourself. Again, where do we see this, this exemplified the best is on the cross. This is exactly what Jesus did. He became us. He made room for us inside of him. As he died on the cross. So the first one is the covenant is about making space for the other inside of the self. The second, in order to renew the covenant, once it has been broken, self-giving is the only option. Once the covenant has been broken by one of the parties, the only way to really renew it is by giving of the self. Right? Again, we see this because the covenant, the new covenant that came together on the cross, came together in blood. Number three, covenants kind of have this eternal nature to them. Now, obviously, when I use the word eternal, I'm talking about us with God, but even socially, what that would say is that just because my neighbor, and I said this earlier, just because my neighbor has broken covenant in the realm of covenant doesn't give me the right to 
break covenant with them. Now, here's what I'll say. Let me, let me hit a pause on that, not to give us a loophole, but there are extreme examples in scripture of when it seems like this idea of covenant or this idea of belonging can be cut, right? We, Jesus gives ideas of that uh, in the realm of marriage. They're extreme, not like our culture today where just a difference can't be reconciled, Okay. But there are examples that Jesus gives, that Moses gives about marriages that can, that can end. There's also, we see the one example of, of Paul and Barnabas, right? Where, where, that, that, where they belong to each other is cut. We see places in scripture where church discipline takes place, where a person is asked to leave the, the covenant community. Um, but those are all rare and extreme examples. But because I think we're fleshly and because we're human and because we're sinful... I think God gives those loopholes, but they're not near as often as we like to treat them. Fourth, covenants cause two separate people or peoples to be intertwined so that each individual self, covenants cause two separate people or peoples to be intertwined so that each individual self is sustained, created, and shaped by those who are in covenant together, which is completely countercultural to the way we work. I'll read that again. Covenants cause two separate people or peoples to be intertwined so that each individual self is sustained, created, and shaped by those who are in covenant together. And fifth, and I think the most obvious, if we're looking at the cross as the example, is the underlying movement or the underlying normative to covenant is the idea of forgiveness. Even when the party that caused offense isn't asking for it. All of those are extremely countercultural to the way we work today. And the idea is, I mean, and the thought is, we're talking about covenant, and I thought we were going to talk about belonging, but, here, but here's the deal. At the root of covenant, the root of the idea of covenant is the whole idea of belonging. Belonging is the seabed the covenant grows out of. Or if you will, belonging is the undertow to covenant. Covenant only works and it only functions when the idea of belonging is supreme. So today, this is what we're going to do today. So, so when I think of the word belonging, even though I personally come from a broken family, and I read throughout the text... I don't know how to discuss belonging outside of the realm of family. I don't know that the scriptures know how to talk about belonging outside of the realm of family. And what I don't want to do, especially for those of us who might have come from bad family situations, I don't want to throw it out just because our experiences were poor. Because scripture still seems to use the metaphor of family to talk about what it means to belong. In fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning, the way the ancient Jews decided to write and tell our story was from the roots of family. And we move from one family to the next. From Noah to Abraham to the children of Israel to the tribes of Israel. Everything is about family. And by the time we get to the New Testament, the church has exploded and now we are no longer dealing with people who are family biologically, but still the number one metaphor that's used throughout the epistles to describe the covenant community or people that belong together is that of family. We are sons and daughters of God the Father. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. We are brothers and sisters of each other. We have been adopted into a family. We are the bride of Christ. 
it seems like the scriptures themselves do not know how to talk about the idea of covenant or the idea of belonging outside of the realm of family. So I don't think we should either today. And so what I want to do today is I want to read an all too familiar story that we all know way too well. You guys could probably quote it for me. But I want to today read it through, a, through the lens of covenant or, or belonging. And we'll, we'll, I'll go over those one more time. And instead of the normal way that we read it as a relationship between God and man, which is the first way we should read it. So unfortunately, I'm reading this with the assumption that you know that. I want us to read it through a social perspective. And I want us to look for these things throughout this story. You all heard of the story of the prodigal son. Yes? But if you, if you read it, ultimately, it's a story of social interactions. Of one deciding he, does no, he no longer wants to belong. Of covenant broken. One of the things we talk about often here is kingdom. One of the things we don't talk about often is covenant. But when you read through the stories of Jesus, what is intertwined throughout all of his stories, the idea of both. The kingdom people are a covenant people. And so what we find here in the way of covenant and the way of belonging is a person who decides he no longer wants to belong for whatever reason to this family. But we find a father who even though he has been completely shamed, he has been completely disrespected, refuses to allow the belonging to be cut. Okay, so let me go over those five things again. And then as we read this, try to read it and listen to it through those lens. Number one, belonging. So I'll use the word belonging instead of covenant. Belonging is about making space for the other inside the self. So listen to the, for that as we read it. Second, in order for the estranged to belong, self-giving from the one. Let's see. In, in order for, yeah, okay. In order for the estranged to belong, self-giving from the one who has been hurt must happen. Third, belonging has an eternal nature to it. In other words, when someone belongs to you and or you to them, there is an inability to give up on the one who cuts ties. Fourth, belonging causes two separate people or peoples to belong together so closely or to be intertwined so closely that the self has actually been created because of that person or peoples. And fifth, again, forgiveness. So let's read it, starting in verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, there's a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And so he divided his property between them. And what we cannot assume is that this is a young man who's turned 18, 21, and he's ready to strike out on his own. But rather, this is a man who is part of a system, who is part of a, a social network, and he has decided that he no longer wants to belong. The whole ancient idea of household solidarity was, was the idea of protecting and increasing, but what this young man wants to do is divide and diminish. And so by doing this, he makes an active decision to say that I no longer belong to you and you no longer belong to me. Because what we have together, what's represented in the inheritance must now be divided. 
And what we have to notice as we go through this is that the individuals of all the parties is, is trapped, if you will, or is consumed by the other. It's always your brother, your father, his father, your brother. In, in other words, the individual person is never known as an autonomous person, but is always known inside the other. If that makes sense. Now let's go on. Verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. In other words, so here's what we know. The very mission of the son, the younger son, the very, his very mission or his project was to unbelong himself, to make up a word. Verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods and the pigs ate that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Notice his journey back starts with the universal desire, if you will, or memory in his case of belonging. So he says in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. What we have to know is that the self has been constructed in belonging to the others. And he so badly wants it back, but he believes in himself that the belonging, right? He's thinking, if you go back to what we talked about as far as contract, he's thinking in the terms of contract. He thinks the belonging has been cut off, but he longs for it so much that he will settle for the idea of proximity because he believes belonging has ended. I think that if we look at a lot of our relationships or relationships in our culture, we oftentimes settle for the idea of proximity over the cost of belonging. He goes on. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced, ran and embraced him and kissed him. What we need to know about that statement is this is a, what they call a shame honor society. So what the father is doing by watching, running, embracing, and kissing is bringing more dishonor and more shame to himself. Because not only is it bad enough, not only has he been shamed and dishonored enough that the one that was part of him would bring dishonor to him, would shame him, but he almost solidifies the shame that he received by running out and embracing the very one who did this to him. So it cost him his reputation, in other words. Verse 21, and the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. 
And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his son, when this son of yours, now long, no longer it's my brother, but it's your son, came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So here are the questions. In this story, where did you see the idea where belonging is about making space for the other inside the self? He embraced him when he came back. Yeah. 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 We see the negative aspect of that when he chooses to unbelong. Anybody else? So again, we see another opposite, the opposite side of that is we see the older brother refusing to make. Uh, here's a sideline. If you go back through how we defined the idea of contract, the older brother functions relationally almost line for line in that realm. It's, in, it's interesting, but yeah, exactly. Anything else? Just a couple more, and then we'll move to the next question. He's got another son ready to unbelong himself, if you will. I don't know a better word for that. Um, but, but the father still says, all that's mine is yours. Again, I, I said this earlier, but how about the fact that all of their identities is tied, in, is tied up into the other one? Yours, mine. They can't say the other one. And the, the, the older brother finally does at the end in his, his way of separating. I also see it in the, when, when, the son comes, the, when the son comes back that the father puts his robe, his ring, and his sandals. As, as Eric said, the embrace. He put that which identified him onto his son. Okay, let's go to the next one. The second one was, in order for the estranged to belong, self-giving from the one who the estranged desires to belong to has to happen. So a self-giving. Where do we see that? Some of us have already said it. How about the fact that the father risks his own reputation and dishonor and shame by embracing the son back? Right? Because all that mattered in that culture back then is the way you were perceived from your peers. Did you have honor from them? And he risked all of his reputation for the sake of his son. It cost the fattened calf. Very good. Yeah. That's a great. Did you guys hear that? It cost his own hurt. There's nothing that, that has been promised to him that the, that the younger son won't do this again. All right. The third one. Belonging, this one you kind of have to look into, belonging as an eternal nature. In other words, when someone belongs to you, I'll just read it again. When someone belongs to you and or you to them, there is an inability to give up on the one who has given up on you. He's a long way off. It shows that he never stopped. That's good. It almost shows that, and to, to add on to that, at least to me, it almost shows like the idea of belonging can't be reduced to a place. But even when the son was far off, dishonoring the family that the son still belonged to the father in the father's heart all right fourth one when we belong to a people or a person we must realize that the self is created shaped and sustained by those who belong to by those we belong to and those who belong to us i think we said this at first but the idea that none of the individuals were themselves outside of the other person their titles all had to do with the his, the your. They, they all were tied to the other person. So finally, how about the idea of forgiveness? 
Where do we see that? Most obvious. Did you all hear that? Our idea of forgiveness is we have to wait for the next person, the, the, the one who did the offending to apologize. As the son begins to repent even, he is cut off by the father's extreme abundance of forgiveness. It's what holds the relationship together. Obviously, we see this most in the cross, right? Jesus said, forgive them, not because they've asked for forgiveness, but because they don't know what they're doing. The father in the story pours his forgiveness, pours his acceptance out on the one who did the shaming, who brought the dishonor. Like, I find it interesting as I was reading this week, and I didn't even know where to put this, but I found it very interesting that the father doesn't argue with the son when the son's ready to leave. I don't even know what to do with that. You know, I don't. I don't know where that fits or what. Maybe that's number six, and I don't have a sixth one yet. We're very conditional, and I, I think not just Christianity, but we've been taught to function in the perspective of contract. We don't use the term, right? But that's how we function. It's about reciprocal. It's about give and take. It's a, and it has to be about that. If, if somebody else cuts off the contract, then we're released. But this is not the life that Christ called us to. This is not what it means to belong. What it means to belong is what we see at the extreme is what we see in this story. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. For those who are in restore groups, if you're not in restore group, think about it this week. Next week, we're going to talk about either learning and serving or just learning. I don't know yet. But this week, think through the idea of belonging. In fact, in your restore groups, I would recommend you go through the, story, the, the prayer in John 17. It's a much more direct an obvious idea of what it looks like to belong to one another. If you're not in a restore group, read through that on your own. Ask God, what does that look like in your life? And then I would say, take this week along with that or the next couple days and think about those that you are in community with and do a, a realistic check. Are you in community superficially? In other words, are you in contract with those people? Or do you really belong to each other? When um, C.S. Lewis, he used to be uh, part of a group um, that they met, in this, they met in this pub. Most of you probably know this. And they would, they would tell each other stories, the Inklings, and they would tell each other stories and they would help each other with their writings and they would argue and they would... But these, these guys were like brothers. And when, I don't know his first name, but when Williams, Williams died... It was funny to hear them talk about, or it's funny to hear, the, hear how they talked about when, when Williams died. And, and, and basically what it was is they said, not only are we going to miss him, but I have, I have lost the you who was created by him because he is no longer around to make that you exist. And I wonder what it would look like as a people if we belonged to each other like that. To really know what it's like to have the self created, sustained by the other. We all have those relationships, right? There, there's a me that you all don't know that only my brother has been able to bring out in me. But you, guys, you all don't know that, that part of me, but it, it's a real part and it really exists. But it exists because of him, not because that's just who I am on my own. But if we began to acknowledge, and I think, we, like I said, we all, we all have, whether it's with siblings or, or other friends or what have you. But what would it be like to be that vulnerable, to let down our guard so much that we actually 
looked like a people that belonged to one another instead of a people who were in some manufactured surface idea of community or translated contract. So think about that this week. Let's pray.